All right, say good morning. Good morning. Okay, a lot to do today to thank our sponsors, our Tamu Torah sponsors for the month of Tammuz. To thank Adam Yudip and Zev for dedicating all of the Shi'urim and Drashos this month in honor of their children. Jake, Serena, and Rosie, to thank our Dafiomi sponsors for today, Sammy and Malka Esterson, Rachel and Alan Rosenblatt, and families in honor of Mr. Morton Esterson's 95th birthday. Incredible, incredible. Sammy, please convey our deepest Mazel Tov wishes to your father. Should be gebenched ad meve esim shanim tovos. Incredible. We should all be zocha. We should all be zocha to make such dedications. Truly beautiful. And also, of course, we dedicate our learning this morning. Le'alias Nishmas, Paul Kalish, Zichorn Levracha, Melech Yona, Ben Yidol Dov, whose niftu's levayos is today. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, his Nisham will have an aliyah and his family a nechama. Also, with that, let us begin. A lot to do today. Baruch Hashem. So today's daf is Ayin Gimel, 73. We are picking up in Merit Hashem. On Ayin Beis and Beis seventy two B, and we are picking up. We are picking up at Rabbi Yonasan. Is that correct? <coughs> Rabbi Shmuel, good. Rabbi Shmuel sounds good. Thank you. I'm Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani. I'm Rabbi Yonasan. My Dixiv. So, what's the meaning of the pasuk with the Gemara quotes over here from Mishlei? Lama zemechir biyat ksil liknos chachma velev ayin. Shabbos so said, what does this mean? Now, now, literally, the Pasuk translates, why do you need money in the hands of a fool to purchase wisdom for lave ayin? But yet he has no heart. Says the Gemara, Woe to the enemies of Talmud Chacham. So let's remember again, we've seen already a number of times that expression, son ehen shel Talmud Chachamim, which ultimately means what? So people who are the antithesis of a Talmud Chacham. Woe to, to the ignorant, woe to the ignorant, like who are people who engage in Torah, but do not have yiras shamayim, do not have reverence for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But it's a very profound idea. Torah, see, on one hand, there's a value of learning just for learning, right? No matter what my kavanas are, not kavanas are, at the end of the day, if I'm learning Torah, Baruch Hashem, that's an incredible schos. On the other hand, for Torah to truly be impactful and meaningful, a person has to possess Yira Shemayim. A person has to possess a sense of reverence for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A person has to possess reverence for Chazal. A person has to possess reverence for Torah. Machruz Rabbi Therefore again, the Gemara says that Lamaisa, a person who learns Torah without Yira Shemayim is like a person ultimately again who has money but nothing to buy. Nothing to buy. So you have Torah, which is money, but you have nothing to buy. Or I should say, you, 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 know, you, you, ha- you have Torah, but you don't have the Yira Shamayim. So, Machrez Rabbiyan, I chava al-delesle darta, v'tara l'darte avrabos. It's a very profound statement. Rabbiyan, says, woe to the person, woe to the person who doesn't have a courtyard, but yet puts up a fence. In other words, putting up a fence is only meaningful if you're enclosing something. So the Maisa, the Gemara says over here, Torah is like the fear. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, on left-hand column, third line down, This is incredible. Torah is not an ends. Torah is a means to Yirashamayim. Torah is a means to our relationship with the Ribbono Shalom. So if all I have is learning, but that learning doesn't 
yield a relationship, then unfortunately, again, you know what that's like? It's like having a very nice entranceway, but nowhere to go, right? Being dressed up and nowhere to go. It's having a gateway, but ultimately no chatzar. Bose is such a profound idea. As important as learning is, it is not the ends. It is the means to yira shamayim. And if my learning doesn't lead me to yira shamayim, Bose, it doesn't mean the learning is, is insignificant. Chas v'shalom. Anytime a Jew learns Torah, it's significant. But Lamais, it's not what it could be. It's not what it could be. said to the rabbis, I beg of you, lo sirsun tarti gehenim. Do not inherit gehenim twice. What does that mean? Look at Rashi. Tarti gehenim. Lios yegeim va'amelim batorah ba'olam azah. V'lotik haimuha. V'tirshu gehenim ba'moschem. U'bichayechem lo ne'anisim ba'olamchem. Let's listen to this. So Rabbi said, I beg of you, don't inherit gehenim twice. Meaning what? If you learn Torah in this world, and at the end of the day, you don't use it to acquire Yira Shamayim. Not only will you not get Olam Haba, but you'll lose out on enjoying Olam Haza. In other words, if a person is not going to learn Torah correctly, you might as well at least enjoy the party here, right? Because the afterlife is not going to be that great. But Lamaisi, you might as well at least enjoy Olam Haza. So Rabbi says the problem is sometimes people lose out on Olam Haza and Olam Haba. They lose out on their Olam Haba because they don't learn Torah in a way that cultivates Yira Shamayim. And concurrently, they also lose out on Olam Haza because they deprive themselves of all the pleasures because they think that that's in line with the Derech HaTorah. So Rabbi says, we'll say such an incredible Yisod that boils down to the basic idea it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it. So learning Torah is important, but how you learn Torah and why you learn Torah and what my goal through my learning is, is just as important, if not more important, than the learning itself. And I will say, I, I, I think that this is, this I've always felt is like one of our greatest, contem- no, greatest, one of our contemporary challenges. Because Torah is so accessible to us, like it's never been before. We live in a golden age of Torah learning, where no matter what your background is or isn't, you can learn whatever and whenever and wherever you want. It's truly incredible, which creates an interesting challenge for us about what our goal of learning is, right? What is the tachlis? When I sit down and I learn, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? And I think that sometimes we forget about Hashem in the midst of our learning. I'm learning a lot. I'm covering a lot of ground, ingesting a lot of information, but God is not necessarily along with me on the journey. And that's what Rav is saying over here. the Gemara is saying over here. You have to make sure that the Rebono Shal Olam is part of your Talmud Torah. What's the meaning of the passage? This is the Torah that Moshe placed. Zohar na'aselo samchaim. If a person is Zachar, in other words, a person learns Torah in the right way, then ultimately Torah becomes an elixir of life. Lo Zachar, if a person is not Zachar, which again Rabose means that a person at the end of the day doesn't learn Torah with Yira Shamayim and doesn't learn Torah in a way that cultivates relationship, then Naasis Lo Sam Misa, then Torah could become an elixir of death. Which is also an interesting statement. So really, like if I don't learn Torah Lishma, so suddenly again, it's an elixir of death. Meaning, if I don't learn Torah in a way that cultivates Yira Shamayim, that's a negative thing. And the answer is yes. Because I'll tell you why. You know, if you don't learn Torah with Yira Shamayim, a person sees, it happens all the time. We see things in the Gemara, or we see things, right? And we see it all the time in Gemara, and statements or stories or episodes 
that you kind of like scratch your head a little bit. You're like, really? Really? Is that like, is, is that actually, right? Chazal are saying that. So I will say, if you learn Torah with Yirash Shamayim, you're humble and you say, okay, Chazal are much smarter than me. The Gemara is much more ancient than me. The wisdom of the Ribbono Shalom defies my comprehension. If you don't have Yirash Shamayim, then you're cynical, jaded, sarcastic, and dismissive often of what the Torah Kedosha says. And once that happens, then it's Samamavas. Then you know, be, be, probably better not to learn. Because ultimately, again, the Torah that you're learning not only is not helping in your spiritual development, but it's stunting your personalistic growth. It's a profound yisod. Because we've, we've seen many Gemaras throughout our journeys in Shas together. And a couple of them kind of uh, left us with raised eyebrows. And it's, it's very instructive to see how we deal with those moments. Do I humble myself before the Torah, before Chazal, before the Gemara? Or do I go ahead and deride and dismiss? If I humble myself, then Torah is a Samachayim. If Chas Shalom I deride and dismiss, that's what Rabbi said. Person who is proficient. Uman means a craftsman. A person who is proficient. The Torah becomes literally, again, a life-saving medicine. A person is not proficient. And in this case, the proficiency is with Yira Shamayim. Ultimately, again, Sama de Musa can become an elixir of death or a medicine of death. The Pasik says, literally, the statutes of Hashem are correct. They make the heart glad. Literally, again, the words of Hashem, now both say, Tsurufa means to smelt, like you smelt iron, smelts. So, we'll say, so that sounds like it's breaking something down. So on one hand, you're telling me that ultimately this, the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu make me happy. Then it's the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu smelt, right? Melt down. So the Zohar misam chaso, lo Zohar If a person is Zohar, Torah gladdens me. If Chas I'm not Zohar, Torah Chas could smelt me. Rish Lakishar migufei dekra nafka, Zohar tzarefaso lechaim, lo Zohar tzarefaso lemisa. Rish Lakish says, no, either way, Torah smelts you. So what happens when you smelt iron? You're, you're melting it down in order to make something great. So Torah has the ability in a positive way to melt me down. If I'm Zohar, melt me, melts me down to go ahead and make something great. And if I'm not Zohar, unfortunately, it just melts me down in a negative way. But I'll say an incredible, really incredible yisod, which is that Allah it's not just the learning, it's how we learn. And what's our goal in learning? Right? If the goal of learning is Yira Shamayim, I want a relationship with the Ribbana Shalom, and I want to appreciate HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I want to have a, an, an enhanced reverence for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the best way to do that, ultimately, again, is through Torah. That's my kavana. Of course, in addition to knowledge, in addition to knowing how to, you know, understand how to, how to operate in my Yiddishkeit, of course, all of those things, but the ultimate goal is one of Yir Shemaim. The ultimate goal is one of relationship. If that's how I approach my Torah, the Torah becomes the greatest elixir in life. But if I leave HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of the mix, and I leave HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of the process, then Chas Hashem Torah could actually become a destructive force. An incredible yisod. The goes right, Yir Hashem Torah Medes Lad. Literally, reference of Hashem is Tahar. It endures forever. Amr Rabbi Chani Rabbah says, very interesting, Zihalome Torah B'tayra. This refers to someone who learns Torah in purity. My Rabbah says, what does it mean to learn Torah in purity? No se'isha, va'achakach lome Torah. means a person gets married first, and then they learn. The idea being that when a person is married, he has a permissible outlet for his desires, and therefore, again, his mind is not distracted by satisfying his desires. 
as opposed to if a person tries to learn. And again, they don't have a permissible outlet for their desires. It could become a very great distraction and derail one from learning. But say, by the way, you know, in general, this is a fundamental machlokis in Chazal about what the proper order in life is, right? Should you get married first and then learn? Should you learn first and then get married? Because as much as the Gemara over here is highlighting the, the benefit of getting married first and then learning, there's also like a little side issue, which is having to support a family. It's a minor detail, but, 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 but Lamaisa, like it's still there. So it's very nice that a person has a, a permissible outlet to satisfy their desires, but at the end of the day, now you also have the yoke of Parnassah, Right, which a which a single person may not have. So I'm just pointing out here the Gemara is being very definitive. But just know that throughout that Chazal often have this machlokis as to what is the proper derech in life: marriage and then learning, learning and then marriage. Okay. So the Gemara says, "Eidos Hashem ne'amana." What does it mean that ultimately, again, the statutes of God are ne'amana, are trustworthy? How incredible is this, by the way? Torah comes to testify about those who learn it. I will say, meaning what? I will say, listen to how beautiful this is. Rashi says, I will say, you know what happens after 120? What happens after 120? person comes up to Shemaim, and I will say, you know, again, based in Shalmala, calls witnesses. Calls witnesses to testify about a person's life. So I will say, you know who one of the witnesses who shows up? One of the witnesses who shows up is Yuma, Ayin Beis. Yuma Ayin Beis shows up. And Yuma Ayin Beis, tell me a little bit about Silver. Tell me a little bit about him. And I will say, the shayla is, how did I learn Yuma Ayin Beis? How did I learn it? What, 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 what did I do with it? What did I do with it? Right? Did I kind of breeze through it? I know that's the wrong thing to say in a dafyomi shir. Right? But, but right, did I just kind of like blow through it? Or did I let it penetrate my soul? Did I let it change me? Did I let the words imprint on my neshama? So that's what it means when the Gemara says over here that ne'emanahi lahaid belamdeha. And we'll say, how incredible is it? Because in Merit Hashem, after 120, you know, every daf that we learn is going to come to show up and testify about us. Now, it's true. Some of them might say, I think he was asleep for most of it, right? Or some of it might say, you know what? I was tumantara. I, we always, we always get the short end of the stick, the tumantara dapim. I always say, but you know what? How incredible is it that when you come up to Shamayim, all of the dapim are going to be lining up. It's going to be a huge queue, a huge queue of dapim testifying about us one after the other. Yeah, okay. Some will have more glowing remarks. Some will be less glowing remarks. But they're all going to say, he was there. He was there. Right, he showed up. He learns me. He learned me. That's Torah testifies. Torah gives testimony about Lomdera. It was an incredible, incredible Yisod. So the Gemara goes right there. My Sirokim. So we'll say back to the Mishkan. Torah says that the curtains were the work of an embroiderer. So this is incredible. So what does it mean? It means that when they would sew images on the, on the curtains, first they would outline it, right? They would outline the image and then they would go, Rashi says over here, Rashi says, Essentially, first what they did is they outlined the image with some type of color, and then afterwards embroidered it, afterwards sewed it. Which I will say, if you think about the incredible musr in that, which is in life, before you accomplish something, you have to have a plan. 
right? There has to be an outline. Because if you just start sewing and you just start weaving and you just start coloring, it's not clear exactly what, what you're trying to do. But Lamaisa, if you first make an outline, right? As, as the Gemara says, we'll say, this is a mantra for life. That ultimately, again, first you go ahead, first you go ahead and outline what you want to accomplish. Then you go in and fill it in. Tanam Shaid Rabbi Nechemya, Roke Maisemechat, Roke Mawase means needlework, sewing. Lefichach Pirtzavachat, Rabbi Nechemya, therefore when you sew something, it's one image, right? It's the same image on the front and the back. Choshev Maasa Oreg. Choshev, on the other hand, is weaving. And weaving, the Gimara says, Lefichach Shnei Pirtzufos. So we'll say, instead of Rashi points out that when they would weave, they would actually go ahead and have two pieces of attached fabric so that when you would weave something you would have one two two separate sides and there'd be a different image on both sides and then those two sides were combined into one so when it was sewing it was the same image back and forth just in the opposite but when it was weaving ultimately again two different panels two different images then brought together the Gemara is now going to talk about a little bit about which is really quite fascinating so the Gemara says a totally interesting side note over here. The Yamara says, the begadim of the Kohen Gadol. Remember again, the Kohen Gadol wears eight unique garments. Now, not all of them are unique. In other words, four of them a regular Kohen wears also. But the idea over here is the unique clothing of a Kohen Gadol are also worn by the Kohen Mashuach Nochama. The Kohen Mashuach Nochama was the Kohen who was anointed for a specific purpose, to lead the army out into war, right? I will say again, his job was to go ahead and inspire the people. Remember, his job was also to, to list off the exemptions, right? People at first who shouldn't go out to battle at all, people who were on the battlefront and then should go home. That was the Mashuach Nochama's job. So the Gemara says over here, Rav Dimi comes along and says that the Mashuach Nochama wears the same begadim as the Kohen Gadol. Shnei Amar, Acharov. Right, the big day Kodesh, the sanctified clothing that are Aaron will be to his children after him. Lemi Sheba Bigdula Acharov. It also so meaning who wears the clothing of Aaron the Kohen Gadol to the Kohen who is the next greatest under Aaron. Who's the Kohen who's next greatest under Aaron? So the Gemara is positing over here that that refers to the Mashuach Milchama. That the Kohen Mashuach Milchama will say is an anointed status below Kohen Gadol. But above Kohen Hedyot, Masiv Ravadabar Avava Armi Lekadi, Yachol Yehei Benosha Mashuach Mochama Meshamish Tachtov. You might have thought that the position of Mashuach Mochama was an inherited position. The Gemara says, Kedar Shemenosha Kohen Gadol Meshamish Tachtov. Say, I will say that literally, Kuna Gidola, if the son of the Kohen Gadol is Roi, then he inherits his father's position. Tamul Omar, Shivas Yomem Yil Bishem Akoin Tachtov Mi Banov, Asher Yavo El Oel Moed. So the Mardashans, Misharai Lava al Moed. Ultimately, again, it is only a son who is fit to come into the Al Moed, which means the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Meaning only the position of the Kuna Gidola, which is inherited by a son, if the son is Ra'i. But the position of Mashuach Nochama is not inherited. Vim Isa, Mikhsachazi. Now, I say, if you are truly correct, that the Mashuach Nochama wears the same begadim as the Kohen Gadol, then what? Then what? That the Moshiach Melchama should also be fit, technically speaking, to enter into the Kodesh Hakadoshim. Amram Nachabar Yitzchak Kachikam. This is what it means to say. We'll say who ultimately again inherits his position to his son if the son is Roi. 
the one who was anointed for primary service inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, which is the Kohen Gadol. But this comes to exclude the Mashuach Melchama, ultimately again, ultimately again, whose, whose Iker anointment is not for the Kodesh HaKadoshim, but whose Iker anointment is for war. So, this was an interesting Braisa. Raisa says the Mashuach Melchama does not go ahead and wear the four garments of a regular coin, nor does he wear the eight garments of a coin gadol. So what are you saying? So then you're making the Mashuach Melchama like a non coin, right? You're relegating him to the status of a Yisrael. So what does he wear? So Ella Bitcoin God say, why doesn't he wear? So let's analyze. Ella Bitcoin God Mishum Eva. say does not wear the same begadim of a coin gadol because of Eva. We'll say Eva means animosity, but really what it means, really what it means is jealousy. It's jealousy. And also we have this concept of right? Two kings can't share the same crown. So the idea being the Kohen Gadol is the Kohen Gadol. If you have another person wearing the begadim of the Kohen Gadol, people are people. We'll say even the Kohen Gadol is a person. And at the end of the day, it's just going to create animosity. So therefore, the Mashuach Melchama can't wear the begadim of the Kohen Gadol. Kohen Hedjot, Mishumalim Kodesh And we'll also can't wear the clothing of a Kohen Hedjot. Why not? Why not? Because remember, he's of elevated status above the coin head yot. So if that's the case, that if he's been elevated to a higher status, it doesn't make sense to then go ahead and have him wear, have him wear the clothing of a coin head yot. Amr le Rav Ada bar Abba, Amr le Rav Ada bar Abba, the Rava, v'hai tana the less le Eva, v'lo kamishamish. But one second, I will say there is another tana. Ultimately, again, who does not hold of the concept of Eva. In other words, he does not hold that Allah is an animosity issue. And yet we still see that the coin, that the Mashuach Melchama does not wear the begadim of the coin Gadol, the Sanya. We'll say, where do we see this? The Sanya, listen to this. Dvarim Shabain, coin Gadol, coin Hedjot. These are the things that distinguish between a coin Gadol and a coin Hedjot. Par, coin Mashiach, Kalamitzos. So we'll say, so number one, number one, remember, the Kohen Gadol brings a unique, a unique carbon in the event that he issued an erroneous halachic ruling and acted on that ruling. That unique carbon is only brought by a Kohen Gadol, not by a Mashuach Melchama. Par Yom Kippurim, the Par Yom Kippur, Asir Saifa, which we'll say is the unique carbon mincha brought by the Kohen Gadol. Lo Poreh, lo say, Kohen Gadol, if Chas Shalom he loses one of his close relatives, he does not allow his hair to grow, nor does he rip his clothing. But what he does, the coin Gadol, is he'll tear his clothing at the bottom hem. So it's a non-recognizable tear. He'll tear at the bottom hem. But a coin Hedyot, of course, tears at the top of his clothing. Coin Gadol does not go ahead and become Tommy even for his close relative. First wide line of Bosei. He can't marry an Amona. And when he dies, when he dies, the accidental murderers, the accidental killers, go free from the Irmiklat. Umakriv Onain, and he has the ability to offer up Karbanos even in a state of Aninos. But if he's in a state of Aninos, as much as he has the right to go ahead and offer up Karbanos, he does not eat Karbanos, nor does he receive a share in Karbanos. And Kohen Gadol could go into the Beis Amikdash and take any of the Kohanic portions at any time. 
Umakriv Chilik Barosh. He also has the ability to offer up Karbonos whenever he pleases. Umishamish Bishmona Kalim. He wears eight garments. Upatr al Tumas Mikdash Vikadashov. And ultimately, again, he is Patr for inadvertent Tumma in the base of Mikdash. Vikhalavodus Yomikipurim Enok Sheros Elabo. And ultimately, again, all of the Yom Kipravoda could only be done through him. So I'll say these are all the unique aspects of the Kohen Gadol. Watch this. The Kulon Nagos B'meruba B'begadim. Now we'll say, there are two ways that you could anoint a Kohen Gadol. Right? Classic way, Shemana Mishcha, anointing oil. Non-classic way is Meruba B'gadim, which means he puts on the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and that makes him the Kohen Gadol. So everything we just said, all of the distinctions of the Kuna Gidola apply equally to a Kohen who is Meruba B'gadim. Chutz mi paraba kala mitzvos. With the exception, ultimately, of what? Of the Paraba Kalamitzos, the Kulon Noagos, the Mashuach Sha'avar. And I will say, all of these also apply. I will say, Mashuach Sha'avar means a scan who became the Kohen Gadol. Right? I will say, let's say, have a simple case. Kohen Gadol became Tame. What happens when that, when that occurs? Scan, the replacement steps in. Then the Kohen Gadol becomes Tar. What happens to the scan? What happens to the scan? Emeritus. I will say, what do you do as Emeritus? Very little, right? Meaning, at the end of the day, you, you, I guess you wave at people, right? You smile, it's a, it's a good job, right? You wave at people, you say hello, right? You look holy. But Lamaisa, Lamaisa, there's no actual capacity. That's Meshuach Sha'avar. So all of what we said applies to Meshuach Sha'avar. Chutz, mi par yom ekipurim, vasira sa'ifa. But also, here's the part we're focusing on. None of these items apply to the Meshuach Mochama. So what do you see according to this b'raisa? The Moshuach Melchama is not treated like the Kohen Gadol. None of this was Moshuach Melchama. Chutz, Michamisha, Dvar Ma'amurim, Beparsha. But with the exception of these five things, Lo Poreh, Lo Poreh, the Moshuach Melchama also, if Chas Shalom, one of his close relatives, dies, he does not allow his hair to grow. He does not go ahead and rend his clothing. For the Matami, the Krovav, nor does he become tummy to his relatives. And he's not allowed to marry an Amona. Well, interestingly enough, according to Rabbi Huda, when the Mashuach Nochama dies, people could come back from the ear Miklat as a result of his death. The Chacham Nochama say no, ain't no machzir. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, his death does not return anyone. So we'll say, so what do you see from here? What do you see from here? That the Mashuach Muhammad ultimately is not treated like the Kohen Gadol. To which the Gemara says, Ki lesle eva bidekavase, bidezuter mine isle. So we'll say, interestingly enough, this is, this is actually a really fascinating statement. The Gemara says over here, the Gemara says over here, when, when do we not have eva? When is there no problem of eva? When you have two people in a peer-like relationship, equals. When is there Eva? Ultimately, again, when someone of a lower station is being accorded the honor of a person of a higher station. So I want to say, look at Rashi for just a moment. It's Rashi in the wide lines, about four lines in. Ki les le'eva b'tikavase, mashuach sha'avar god l'haya kamoso. Ava mashuach nuchama d'zutar minei choshesh le'eva. So I want to say, this is very interesting. Where is there Eva? Or where was there no Eva? In the Mashuach Sha'avar, right? In a case where you had a coin Gadol, he was the coin Gadol, that was all the, there's no Eva between the acting coin Gadol and the former coin Gadol. Why? Because to a certain degree, they're, they're equals. Where is there Eva? 
there's Eva potential for I shouldn't say where is there potential for Eva between the coin Gadol and the Mashuach Melchama. Because they both say if you start dressing up the Mashuach Melchama in the begadim of the coin Gadol, coin Gadol is going to be like, what, what? What? What is that? Right? He's not the coin Gadol. He's important. He has a capacity. That's where there's Eva. And therefore, Allah Chalamaisa, we would not go ahead and clothe the Mashuach Melchama in the begadim of the coin Gadol. Yosef Rabbi Avav, Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Avo went ahead and said over this ruling in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, he said, right? Adrinu Rabbi Amin Rabbi Asi Payu. And Rabbi Amin Rabbi Asi turned away. They were displeased with this ruling. Others say, Rabbi Amra, others say, Rabbi Amra said, Rabbi Amin Rabbi Asi Payu. Rabbi Amin Rabbi Asi turned away. Maskev Rabbi said, Bishlam Rabbi Avo, Mishum Yakra de Bekesar. I understand if it was Rabbi Avo and they didn't want to confront him that his ruling was wrong because Rabbi Avo was very tight with the Caesar and therefore they did not want to publicly disagree with him. But if it was Rabbi Chia, then ultimately again let them just say to him, by the way, Rabbi Yochanan never actually said this. Okay, we'll say, so it's left as a kasha. Bottom line, Halakha Lamaisa, the Kohen Mashuach Melchama does not where the begadim of the Kohen Gadol. Bosev, I just want to point out, there's another interesting related discussion over here, which is what? Which is what? Which is, remember, Bosev, where does the Kohen Meshuach Melchama operate primarily? Where does he operate? Outside of the Beis HaMikdash. But remember again, we had a whole sugi about what? Wearing Big Day Kahuna outside of the Beis HaMikdash. Now again, the Pashtos, this, he's an exception to this rule. But he is not wearing the begadim of the Kohen Gadol. He's wearing the begadim, ultimately again, of a Kohen Hediot. Incredible. So the Gemara says, Kiyasa Rabin, Kiyasa Rabin, and Rabin came along, Amar Nishal Itmar. Ultimately, again, I will say, if you take a look, if you take a look, look at Rashi, Kiyasa Rabin, Amar, Lav Mishamish Pan Itmar, Ela Nishal Bahen Itmar, Begadim Shekohen Gadol, Mishamish Pan Mishal Mechal Nishal. We'll say, when Rabin came along, he said, no, 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 you're, you're, you're dealing with the wrong sugya. The discussion of Yerabu say is, this is actually very interesting, the, the, the Rabin is assuming that maybe the Koi Mashuach Melchama wears the Urim Vitumim. But say, remember again, it appears that the Urim Vitumim were consulted most when? When going out to war. That's what the Urim Vitumim were used for. Should we go out to war? Will we, will we be successful in war? So it's interesting. Rabin seems to say if the Mashuach Melchama was wearing the Urim Vitumim, does he wear all of the other begadim of the Kohen Gadol as well? Nishal itmar. Tamin al-Hakir, that supports this. Begadim she Kohen Gadol, Meshamishpan, Meshuach Melchama Nishal Bahen. Rice that supports this. The begadim that a Kohen Gadol wears when doing service in the Mikdash are the same begadim the Meshuach Melchama wears when he's wearing the Urim Vitumim and being consulted, or he, not, he's not being consulted, Moshe is being consulted about going out to war. Turn around, so we'll say, let's analyze this. As I was suggesting, you should know, Halacha Lamaisa, the Mashuach Melchama did not wear the Urim Vitumim. It was the Kohen Gadol who wore the Urim Vitumim, and it was the Kohen Gadol who was consulted. When, so the, the, the Mashuach Melchama does not wear the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol, nor does he wear the Urim Vitumim. So we'll say, let's the Gemara goes by to turn around on Ketzad Shoal, and we'll say, this is fascinating. How do you ask the Urim Vitumim a question? Hashoah Panav Klape Nishal, so we'll say, the person asking the question would face the Kohen Gadol. And the Kohen Gadol, who was wearing the, the Choshen, right? Remember again, 
just to explain very quickly, the Choshen was the breastplate, 12 stones on the breastplate. It was mounted on a plate of gold. That plate of gold itself was also attached to a fabric backing. That fabric backing had a fold. Inside of that fold was a piece of parchment with the 72-letter name of the Ribbon Shalom. That parchment with the fold, or that parchment with the name, that was like the spiritual battery of the Urim Vitumim. So what would happen? Somebody would come to ask the question. Most remember, guys, not just somebody. We saw in the Mishnah. Who could ask the Urim Vitumim? Who could ask? The Melech, right? The Av Beisdin, right? Somebody who the seaboard needs. It could be that could be like the leader of the army, right? Or the Kohen Gadol, of course, himself could also ask. So what would happen? The king shows up, let's say, he, he's facing the Kohen Gadol. Kohen Gadol, the Gemara says, is part of Klapit Shechina, is facing the Shechina. What's what does he mean, facing the Shechina? Rashi, Rashi points out the Kohen Gadol would look down. He would look down. So his face is facing the Shechina, facing the Urim Vitumim. Hashual Omer, so the person who asked the question says, Erdov Should I pursue this army? Gedud means a group, right? So the show, because we'll say again, primarily the questions that were asked were about military operations. Should I go ahead and pursue this enemy? Vanishal Omar and the Koyinado would say, This is what Hashem said, go up. And be successful. Rabbi Huda Omer, Hashem. You actually don't have to add in the phrase Kamar Hashem. That's pretty obvious. Ella, Allah Hatzlach. Rather, the answer would be go and be successful. Ain Sholin Bakabos is incredible. You don't ask the question. Let's say the king is asking. You don't ask in a loud voice. Shene Amar, the Sha'al Lo. You shall ask him the coin Gadol. So meaning the voice that you're asking in should only be audible to the coin Gadol. So like a, like a shtickle whisper. But you have to articulate. So you can't just think the question. You have to actually articulate or enunciate the question in a low voice. We'll say this is truly beautiful. How do you ask the Urim Vitumin? I will say who models for us, again in general, who models for us prayer? Chana. The beginning of Shmuel Aleph, where Chana is davening in a heartbroken way for a child. Chana speaks to her heart. So we'll say, and again, Chazal tell us over there that she whispered her tefillah. So loud enough, loud enough for her to hear, and maybe for a person standing right next to her to hear. So, so to when asking the Urim Tumim, an audible whisper. Say, you can't go ahead and ask two questions at once. And if you did ask two questions about the Urim Tumim, you only get one answer. And you only get the answer to the first question. So this is David HaMelech, when he's hiding in the city of Keilah, right? This is before he became king. He's a fugitive now. And so Shaul is coming with an army to track him down. Ev Yasser HaKohen escaped from the city of Nov, right? And he had the Urim Tumim with him. So David asked the Urim Tumim. David asked the Urim Tumim. And he says, literally again, are the people of Keilah going to turn on me and hand me over to Shaul? And is Shaul, is Shaul coming down to attack? So we'll say, so the Gemara says, Vayomer Hashem, Yeireid. Hashem says, Shaul is coming down to attack. I, so we'll say, so David Amalek asked two questions, and he only got the answer to one. But here's the problem. But you said that when you ask two questions, you only what? You only what? You get the answer to one, and which one? And which one? Number one. Yet David Amalek asked two questions, got the answer to one, but which one did he get the answer to? Question number two. So, so the Gemara says, David Shaul on the days Shalok Kiseder. Because David asked in the wrong order. The Hei Shiloh Kiseder. Well, so in other words, how should David have asked the question? David, question number one should have been, should have been what? 
is Shaul coming down? Question number two is, will the people of Keilah hand me over? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered him one, and answered him the question that should have been asked first. The Chayv and Shedr Shal Shal Kaseder, once somebody realized that he asked in the wrong order, Chazor Vashal Kaseder, Shnemar, he asked, Yerni Balakila, Osi, Vez Anashai, Biad Shal, Vayomar Hashem, Yaskiru. Good. Vim Hutra Chadavar Lishnayim, but I will say if the two questions were, were immediately urgent, and therefore you needed to ask both of them now, and needed both answers now, Machzir no Shnayim. Then ultimately you could ask two, and you get two answers. Shnemar, David says, should I run after this enemy and will I be successful? Because both questions are equally important. Should I go? Will I be successful? And to that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Hashem Ultimately, again, so say, see, see, there's an example of where David asked two questions, received two answers, ultimately, again, because both were immediately necessary. So, we'll say, so first I'll just point out, it's so fascinating. What do you see from here? There's an incredible Ashkafa with this. We'll say, you know, the, the, when you are Lifnei Hashem, the most important thing is Seder. There's a Seder, right? We'll say, the, the most important thing in general in life to be successful is Seder, to have an order to have a mahalik. They're the same way you saw before. When they made the curtains, first you outlined the design, then you saw it. When you come and you dialogue and you're before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you ask like this. There's a seder. The closer you are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the more seder is absolutely necessary. This goes back to our entire Masechta of Yuma. Right? If you look at Yom Kippur, what's the essence of Yom Kippur? Everything is scripted. And I will say, what happens if you break the script? What happens if you break the script? Well, it depends. Right, the closer you are to Hashem, the higher, or let's just say, the greater the fallout of breaking the seder. Right, if you break the seder in the kodesh, that's one thing. You break the seder in kodesh, hakodesh, and chasus shalom. That's misa. Because if you want to come close to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, a person has to have a seder. A person has to be organized. A person has to have a mahalach. A person has to have a plan about how they are approaching. A person has to have a seder about how they ask. The Gemara goes right there. Even though the words of a Navi are subject to change, so we'll say the words of the Urimitum, whatever the Urimitum say, that's what remains. So we'll say, by the way, it's incredible. Where do you see that the words of the Navi change? Rashi quotes over here, Kigon, Yona ben Amitai. And we'll say, this is incredible. What's the greatest story of prophetic change, or I should say the words of a prophet being subject to change? Say for Yona. Right? What did Yonah say? Oh, another 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Was Nineveh destroyed? Was Nineveh destroyed? No. no. They did Shuvah. They did Shuvah. So therefore, we'll say, you see from here, the words of a Navi are subject, which, which by the way, we'll say, is fine. Right? What Yonah was saying to them was, you're going to die if you don't change. But ultimately, again, whatever the Urim Betumim say, that is not subject to change. So why is it called Velama Nikra Shman Urim Betumim? Why is it called Urim Betumim? Urim shemeir nestevreim. Urim because they illuminate their words. Tumim shemashlimin nestevreim. Tumim because we'll say what they say is complete. In other words, that whatever the order of the tumim say is unequivocal truth. I is that true? The Gemara says the intomar begivas binyamin 
Mipne Malo Hishlimu. So we'll say, but yet there's a story. We'll say there is the story of Pilegesh Begiva, which without getting into the entirety of the story, is a tragic episode in Klal Israel's existence where a woman was raped and ultimately died as a result of being abused by the men of Binyamin. The, the other tribes get together and go to war against Binyamin, ultimately with the intention to a certain degree of, of, eradicating, of eradicating the tribe. So the Gemara says, so if you notice, the, the, other, the other tribes, when they consulted the Urim Vitumim, the Urim Vitumim said, go to battle, but yet they, they lost the first two battles. Right, in other words, the collective tribes lost the first two battles. So the Gemara says, listen to this. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says that's because they asked the wrong way. They never asked if they were going to be successful. They just asked if they should go to battle. So we'll say, so this goes back to what we said before. In order for the Urn of Atum to be effective, you have to know how to ask. So we'll say in general in life, it's interesting that if you want real answers, you always have to know how to ask the questions. So Allah has kama v'kama, when you are lifnei Hashem, you have to know how to ask. They only ask, should we go? They never asked, should, are we going to be successful? Finally, the third time, Pinchas asks, are we going to be successful? And a Kaddish Baruch says, yes. And sure enough, they win the third battle. Kate said, Nasis, so we'll this is fascinating. How did the Urim Vitumim work? So we'll say, which means, how did it communicate a message? So I understand how you ask. I understand that process. How would you get the answer from the Urim Vitumim? Rabbi Yochanan or Boletes. Rabbi Yochanan says that literally again, Boletes, so we'll say, means stick out. Rashi says over osios boltos. So what would happen? You would ask a question, and then letters would 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 jut out. Would jut out. Those letters would then be combined to form words, and those words would be your answer from the ribono shalom. Rabbi Rishlakish Shomer mitstarfos. Rishlakish says ultimately again the letters would combine. I will say the Marsha says in reality Rabbi Yochanan Rishlakish are not actually they're not arguing. They're actually saying the same thing. The letters would go ahead and, and jut out, and jut out, and then ultimately again, the coin Gadol would then take the letters and combine them into a word. I, Bahalok Sibhut Sadi, Rosa, here's the problem. The the Choshen, the letters on the Quran, remember again, this, what, what letters are we talking about? Remember, you have 12 stones with the names of the Shvatim. So those letters would, would, would jut out and form words. Here's the problem. You don't have the entire Aleph base on the Urim Vitumim, on, on the Choshen, for example, Lok Sivut Tzadik. Both said there's no Tzadik, right? There's no Tzadik, there's no letter Tzadik in any of the names of the Shvatim. Both said it is incredible. In addition to the words of the, of the names of the Shvatim, the names of the Avos were also on the stones of the Choshen. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. I, Vahalok, Siv, Tess, but there's still no Tess. It also says, It tells you something amazing. We often think that what, what was written on the 12 stones, right? Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yudah. It's actually not true. In other words, it was written, but all of the combined letters of the names of the Shvatim, plus Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, plus Shifte Yeshurin, those letters 
were equally divided on 12 stones. So in fact, you don't have one stone per name. You ultimately are one name per stone. You have a conglomerate of letters equally divided between 12 stones. And what would happen is you would ask the question to the Ribbon HaShalolam, and then what would occur? Allah said the letters would jut out the letters would jut out, and the coin Godel would then be responsible for putting the, for putting the letters together. So also, I point out something absolutely amazing. If you think about this, well, let's just finish. The Gemara says, second. But the 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 Brisa says that a coin, it's, in other words, without ruach akodesh, you cannot decipher the words of the urim v'tumim. In other words, or of the choshen, I should say, or we'll call it urim v'tumim. So we'll say, in other words, before you're making it sound like the letters bolt, the letters bolt out, bolt out is that jut out, right? Jut out. Uh, Protrude, protrude. The letters protrude out, right? And you pretty much just organize the letters into words and you can figure out what is the message from the Ribbon Hashan. The Bryce says, no, the coin also has to possess Rech HaKodesh, has to possess some level of divine spirit. That level of divine spirit allows him to put the letters together in a comprehensive message. The Gemara contrasts, Sadduk HaKoin, for example, asked and he was unable to get, he was unable to understand what the Rebbe was saying. Ev Yasser, which are just the opposite. Tzadok knew what it was saying. Ab Yasser did not know what it was saying. To which the Gemara says, You're right. The Urim V'tumim gave a message, but the Kohen had to understand how to interpret that message. Rashi says, So we'll say, If the Kohen had Ruach HaKodesh, he was able to put together the meaning of the message of the Urim V'tumim. If he did not possess Ruach HaKodesh, he was unable to put together the message. I will say, what, what was the paradigmatic example of this? Paradigmatic example of this was Elia Cohen by, by Chana. Eli saw Chana. He did not know what she was doing. So he asked the Urim Betumim, the Gemara says. And what did the Urim Betumim, we'll say, what letters did the Urim Betumim project? Shin, Chaf, Reish, Hey. Shin, Chaf, Reish, Hey. Eli said, oh, Shikora, she's drunk. But in fact, he was wrong because the letters were Kshera, Kshera. But the Kohen Gadol has to know how to decipher the message. Shabbos is so incredibly profound. Because you know what it teaches us? In life, rarely are there direct, clear messages from the Ribbono Shalom. HaKadosh Baruch who speaks to us all of the time. But Lamaisa, you have to know. We'll see, remember it used to be in the cereal boxes, they used to give away like the decoder rings, right? They, great, it's great, you know, and, and you know, you'd spill out the whole box in order to get that, in order to get the uh, decoder ring that was worth, like it had like a negative value. That's a little bit, you know, like, but it was exciting. You know, you look at it, you look at it backwards, look at this. Let's say, so it's the same thing in life. It's the same thing in life. Emotional speaks to us all of the time and provides us messages all of the time, including to the coin Gadol. But Lamaisi, you have to know how to decipher it. The signs are around us all the time. But this goes back to what we learned before. If I learn Torah and the intention of my Torah is for Yerash Shemayim, then I have the proper decoder ring. But without the proper decoder ring, not only do you not understand the messages, but sometimes chas and shalom, you could even get the messages wrong. So let's just finish. I know that it's late. Let's just finish the end of the parak. Vein shalom el lamelech. And remember again, not anyone, not anyone is permitted to consult the Urim Betumim, only a melech, only an avbezin, only someone of the tzibar needs. Where do we know this from? 
So we'll say he will stand before Elazar Akoi and he will ask, Who? Who's the who? Zemelech. That refers to the king. The Chobane Yisrael Ito and all of Joshua with him. Ze Mashuach Nochama. This refers ultimately to the Kohen Mashuach Nochama. The Chola Eidah. And who is the Eidah? Zu Sanhedrin. Only those individuals, we'll say ultimately, are permitted to go ahead and ask of the Kohen Gadol. We'll say Mazel Tov. Yashikayach Hadrin Alach. Ba Lo Kohen Gadol. Mazel Tov.